The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy, and we are here to talk about the preseason All-America teams, which got released over at BaseballAmerica.com today as we record this, uh, the 31st. Um, you'll probably be listening to this uh, no earlier than tomorrow, the 1st. So happy February to you all. And uh, if you didn't catch it yesterday over at BaseballAmerica.com, you can check out the full Baseball America preseason All-America teams as voted on by Major League Scouting departments as they have been for the last 40 years. Uh, so we're going to dive into those teams, uh, you know, do, do some analysis there and, and, and talk through all of that here today on the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development, and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player, da- National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're, uh, we're back. We're, we're here with another uh, tentpole in the Baseball America preseason coverage, the, the college preview issue of the magazine. Um, you know, we, we talked about the preseason top 25 last week, and here we are to, uh, to talk about the preseason All-Americans. These podcasts are really nice, uh, dear listener, too. Um, I'm sure Teddy will admit this as, as much as I, although may, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just telling secrets now. But uh, these podcasts are also really nice because it means that we don't really have to uh, come up with a conceit for why we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about. We don't have to uh, do any sort of guest booking, although we do enjoy talking to the guests we have on the show. Um, but it, it is just kind of nice that we know exactly what we're going to be talking about here this week. So the preseason podcasts are, uh, are great for that. So in addition to just being excited to talk about, you know, the all Americans or the top 25 or what have you, it, it is also nice that, uh, we just kind of come locked and loaded with our, with our content ready to go. Indeed. And, um, you know, we're, we're looking at, um, you know, the, the, these preseason teams and, and, and similar to, to last week, you know, when we talked about how, you know, some people like, why do you guys do a, what, what, a, what a preseason rankings matter? Not necessarily why do you baseball America do them, but in general, why do preseason rankings matter? I mean, you can ask the same thing about, uh, about preseason all Americans. Um, and I guess my answer is generally still the same. It's uh, it's fun to think about, but you know, the, these are different than regular all America teams when we just evaluate what actually happened on the field and you know we we try and and look at the the stats and and how everyone performed and say like all right these are these are the best three players at 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 first base these are the best nine outfielders whatever um here it's uh it's much more subjective 
Uh, it's a lot of predictive and we don't actually do it. <laughs> that is a very important distinction here in the Baseball America preseason All-America teams uh, is that Joe and I, nobody on staff at Baseball America really has any input in how this uh, how this team looks, except for the fact that we did create the ballot. Uh, but we, for the last 40 years, have, uh, you know, been able to to enlist the major league scouting community uh, to 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 vote on these all Americans. So we send a ballot to to the teams. They vote, uh, and we uh, we tabulate the results. Uh, this year we had 14 teams participate, which is about average. Um, we usually are somewhere in that that 50% range. And frankly, this year that's considering there's a lockout and everything that that means in terms of what teams are and aren't allowed to do and communication and, and all the rest of that. Uh, we are very appreciative of all of those, those teams that, that did vote, taking the time for this exercise. Um, I really like seeing how these come in. It does give our preseason All-America teams a distinctive and unique view. Um, these are by nature of how this process gets done, they are more draft predictive than really anything else. Uh, they can be team predictive as well, but what they are most predictive of is, is the draft. And so anytime you're looking at these, remember that the people that voted on this are thinking about college baseball, um, you know, about the players and the performance. And, and we ask them to consider that, but also like they are people who, uh, professionally evaluate these players as professional potential professional players. Uh, so they're thinking of the, the draft prospects are most prom this year's draft prospects are most prominent in their mind. And sometimes you see that reflected in the voting. I would say this year, um, Paul Skeens and Jacob Gonzalez are two uh, sophomores on the third team that you might look at and say, well, like Paul Skeens was a first team all-American last season and Jacob Gonzalez was really, really good. He was, uh, you know, SEC freshman of the year, or, you know, whatever honors he, he did or didn't get last year. Uh, why aren't they, aren't they higher up? Like, well, uh, cause you know, part of it is that they aren't, uh, they're not draft eligible this year. So they're, you know, how do you evaluate, how, how do you think about Brooks Lee, who is going to be a presu presumably a top five, top 10 pick this year versus Jacob Gonzalez will be a top five to 10 pick. A year from now, you know, these are these are complicated things that you have to think through. And, and so, again, by nature of how we do this, uh, oftentimes the uh, the tie or anything close goes to the currently draft eligible player. Now, I say all of that and you can find a sophomore, not draft eligible sophomore on the first team. That's Dylan Cruz, who is probably right now the. Uh, he would be the early favorite to be the 2023 number one overall pick LSU outfielder had a sensational uh, freshman season. A lot of his, a lot is expected of him now as, as a sophomore. So I go through all of that to say, again, these are, these are picks made by major league scouting departments. They're not picks made by baseball America. And uh, with that comes again, like just a little bit of a different view. And we really appreciate that view because you know, again, these are, these are preseason teams. It's a very subjective process to begin with. I like that our process for the last 40 years has been to go to people 
uh, who are, again, professionally employed to, to think about these players uh, and predict which ones will be good, uh, you know, as, as opposed to us trying to, you know, just look at like, well, who was good last year and who's returning and who had a good fall and who is nice on the Cape. Like, um, you know, it, it, it that those all preseason All-American teams are, are fine. I just like that ours is different. Yeah, ours has a definite point of view. Like, I think I like that about it, that it's got, it's more than just you and I going through, although you and I could do a pretty good job. And honestly, our first team would probably look a little different, but not markedly different, probably. You know, the Venn diagram of the All-American, first team All-American team that, that you and I would put together, or just based on performance, and the one that these scouting directors put together, really not all that different. We could probably nitpick a, a player here or there, but but I do like that there is a bit of a point of view here um, with, uh, with our All-American team. It, you can see it, you know, you go down a little bit more to the second and third team and you, you start to see where it diverges a little bit. And, you know, a player or two kind of gets thrown in that you might raise an eyebrow at if you're not paying as close attention to the draft side of things. You know, like a Victor Medeiros on the second team at Oklahoma State, obviously that's a guy who doesn't have the production to match the guys that he's on this team with on the second team, Parker Messick or uh, Bryce Hubbard or even Cooper Jerpy. Doesn't quite have that production, but obviously has the prospect pedigree and, and they're projecting on that or Jackson Wiggins on the third team, for example. So uh, the further you go down, you do see maybe some of those differences in the type of team that we would put together versus the one that we ended up with. Um, but it does go to show, um, although, you know, nobody likes a story more than I do of a player who is doesn't have that kind of pedigree and is relatively modest from a prospect standpoint, who, in spite of that, finds a way to be a dominant college player. Nobody likes that kind of player more than I do. But that said, it does go to show that, you know, have talent will travel, um, for lack of a better way of putting it for these teams. And, and so, um, you know, I think football, college football kind of deals with this in its own way, where we, we make a lot of fuss about the all the two-star prospects that end up in the NFL when the reality is that that represents a very small minority of the types of players that really end up having big time careers. No different here. Um, that's what we see with our all American teams. Well, speaking of that, like there are a couple of players that are on the first team that are projected to go very, very high in the draft this year that like were not really on the radar coming out of high school or certainly weren't on the radar in the way that they are now. Uh, Chase DeLauder comes to mind at James Madison. Um, Gavin Cross, a, a, another outfielder, Virginia Tech. And uh, Zach Neto, who's there as a two-way player, shortstop slash right-hander for Campbell. And those guys all being on the, uh, the, the, the first team there is, you know, I, they're, they're all very deserving. And they're all, I think, kind of representative of what you're what you're talking about there. DeLauder and Cross are viewed as two of the better hitters in this year's draft class. Cross might be one of the better just pure hitters in the country in this year's draft class. And uh, DeLauder does a little bit of everything. He's got power. He's got some speed. He pitched a bit for James Madison. Probably, uh, you know, that's not what he is as a pro and uh, he didn't pitch as much as say Neto did, but uh, you know, he, he brings a whole, whole different array to, to the game. And, you know, with Neto, you know, he did play in the NCAA tournament last year with, with, with Campbell and Campbell is a program that has a chance to be really good this year. And uh, you know, maybe make some noise in, in June, 
you know, Virginia Tech and James Madison coming into this year are not viewed in that same way. Um, you know, Virginia Tech would be, you know, aiming at, at, a, at a regional bid. And at times last year, it looked like they were on track for a regional bid, felt short. James Madison is, um, you know, it's been, it's been a while since the Dukes were competing at the top of the CAA with Northeastern and UNCW and, um, and College of Charleston. But, uh, you know, maybe DeLauder can take them there. But th those are three guys that are a little more off of the beaten path. You know, I mean, you, you can look at this and you see Landon Sims and, uh, you know, everyone knows what, what Landon Sims did last year for, for the national champs. And you see J.C. Young, um, and, you know, that's the Big 12, the reigning Big 12 player of the year. Um, you know, I, there, there are a lot of guys like that on the first team, but, but some of these other guys are guys that blew up over the summer. You know, DeLauder just hadn't played much college baseball, has not played much college baseball. He played about as many games this summer on the Cape as he has played for JMU because of the pandemic. Uh, and so, so it's just nice to see the growth that he's been able to have and, you know, what he and what Neto did this summer really kind of elevated their their stars. Yeah, I mean, Chase DeLauder will be among the most eagerly anticipated players to watch this coming season. I imagine that is also true. That's true for me. That's who I'm speaking for. But I think it's also true for evaluators. Not that, you know, you do what he did last season in the sample that it was, as you alluded to, JMU had a, re a reduced schedule as so many programs did last year. And then on top of it had COVID related issues, knock out some games. I think they, they only played, they played 28 games or something. Um, so you've got that on top of the pandemic year, obviously, but, but given the way he performed last year and then what he did on the Cape, I, I don't, I wouldn't say there's any sort of doubt about him, but it's just, you're right. There's been, there's been a relative, there's been a, just a small sample. Um, when you compare him to a lot of the other hitters that we are putting him in a, in a category with. And, and I think, you know, he and cross in particular are, are, are interesting too, because I think there's something to, and, and I don't want to get over my skis here because I, I am, I'm not going to pretend to um, be someone who is, who's really in tune to the, the scuttlebutt about the draft. You know, you're obviously more into that. Certainly our colleague at BA, Carlos Colazzo was far more in tune to that than either one of us, but you know, there's, there's been an kind of increased emphasis, especially in, in it with baseball going the way it has gone. Let's just call it the last decade on finding guys who can hit, which sounds like a, a generalization. But what I mean by that is having a hit tool that projects at the next level, um, because that is, um, you know, relatively hard to evaluate. And in some cases, it is also just um, harder to find. Um, and so there's a, a big value put on that. And those are two guys, I think, that are shiny examples of guys who there's a lot of optimism about being able to hit at the next level. And so the in particular will be fascinating and, and we'll, we'll get to see, uh, you know, how far, uh, you know, how, how much the heat difference he makes and, and what kind of team JMU has there. You know, they're, they're typically kind of a, a team that hovers around in the middle of the pack within the conference. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll just kind of see if, if maybe that's a, him being a transcendent player is, is able to lift their level a little bit. Uh, we've certainly seen um, players like that. I think Ethan Wilson at South Alabama, although South Alabama's talent in general, probably better than what JMU is. However, uh, there's no doubting that, that in a lineup that otherwise was not very good, Ethan Wilson really was able to kind of elevate things in general because he was always lurking in that lineup. So I'll be interested to see if DeLauder is able to have a similar affected at JMU. So yeah, those are a couple of guys I definitely have my eye out for DeLauder in particular, just given the, the relatively small sample and the fact that, oh, by the way, it's, it's JMU, which is, you know, 
you have to probably go back to Kellen Kolbacki at JMU back in whatever it was, 06, 07, um, to find a hitter with the kind of track record that, that he's going to bring to the table. Is there, uh, is there anyone else that, that jumped out to you, uh, you know, on, on any team, I, I guess first team in particular, but, but on any team that you want to, uh, to mention here? Yeah, there's an interesting uh, – between Susak, Daniel Susak, the catcher in Arizona on the first team, and Kevin Parada, the catcher on the second team, I think that's one of the most fascinating – those two players have been so kind of tied together. Um, you know, in their recruiting process, they were considered two of the best prep catchers in general – uh, you know, Parada being, the, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the highest rated position player on the BA 500 to make it to campus um, before last season, if I have that correct. I think that's correct. Right. And if not, he was darn close. Um, They're also both draft eligible sophomores. Uh, they are also at this point in time, bat first catchers. Um, And so I think it is kind of what you, from an evaluator standpoint, it is what you value here. I think the, the understanding I, and, you know, having done the team USA prospects list at the end of last summer, I talked to some evaluators that were able to kind of clarify some of this stuff for me, but, you know, generally speaking, you know, Parada is kind of seen as the more finished product right now. There's a lot of confidence that he's going to hit at the next level. He's a pretty, he's a pretty filled out body. So what you see is kind of what you get. There's a decent amount of certainty there. Susak is a better athlete. So while he's not a finished product defensively yet, there's some hope that maybe he ends up being a better overall catcher because there's some development that still could still happen there. So it's kind of a fascinating little one, two there, because I think it, it really is kind of an eye of the beholder situation, which one of those guys you prefer from a college baseball standpoint. And it struck me as I was doing some of these previews that, you know, Daniel Susak is probably going to be as important um, among the teams that are ranked in the top 25. I mean, he singularly is one of the more important pieces on any team because you know, Arizona lost a lot offensively and, and I like some of the guys they have in that lineup around him, but in terms of, you know, proven producers, um, you know, he really is, is going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting. Whereas, you know, Parada could take a little bit of a step back and that Georgia tech lineup is good enough. They'll probably still be pretty solid. Um, but if Arizona is going to be as good as uh, they hope to be, certainly uh, Susak is, is probably going to have to be right in the center of it. So um, that to me was one of the ones when we turned in the ballot, that was one of the ones where I would have most of these first teamers. I'm not shocked to see. Um, and I'm not with Susak either, but that's one where I, it was basically a coin flip trying to figure out which way that one was going to go. And I think if the, I don't have the voting here in front of me, but I think it also just kind of played out that way generally. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have been surprised with it going either way. And I, I think you're right. I think Susak might be, you know, if we were to shortlist most important players to their teams in the country. Uh, yeah. He's, if he is a number one, He's like number two, because uh, the other thing is he he can catch basically every game for them. You know, like it's it's a very important position. They rode him last year as a catcher, and uh, not that Georgia Tech didn't ride Parada at, at times, but like Susak, I, if if you go back and look, he caught an awful lot of innings uh, for Arizona, and um, you know he might be bat first, but he's not bat only. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, there, there's a lot riding on him, I would say for, for Arizona this year. That's a, uh, that is, that is absolutely a good call. Well, we're going to dive in some more, uh, with some, uh, some broader analysis, some points that I want to want to bring out with, uh, with these teams here in a second, but first check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, Joe, I, uh, I, there, there are some things that, that stood out to me, not so much about the players. You know, we will talk a lot about these players individually, um, you know, as time goes on, not, not, not so much about decisions that, that the voters had to make here. That's not really what I want to focus on here right now. I want to talk about some broader trends from the, uh, from the voting. First one is that LSU leads the country with uh, four players across these three teams. There are like 42 players on the teams overall. Four of them come from LSU. Uh, that's Dylan Cruz, Jacob Berry, Trey Morgan, and Kate Doty, all of them bats. And when we talk about why, how LSU might have the best offense in the country, I mean, this is why we're talking about it, because they have four guys in their lineup that are preseason All-Americans, all of them on the first or second team. I mentioned Cruz and how highly rated he is already. Um, Jacob Berry, we've talked about a lot with his transfer from Arizona to LSU. Trey Morgan, of course, had a great freshman year along with Cruz. And uh, Kate Doty uh, had one of the the quieter, excellent offensive years out there. There was just so much else happening with LSU that I, I don't know how much that got noticed, but he... He was quite good himself. And, you know, so the fact that LSU is out here with two first team preseason All-Americans in Barry and Cruz and four overall, I mean, that that right there is why we talk about this offense the way we talk about it. Yeah, no doubt. It's a, a very, um, a very clear look at what LSU is and isn't going to be this year. They have four players, all hitters, not a pitcher to be found. Um, they will find some, I'm sure. Um, but it, that is that is the challenge if they are going to be a complete team that you know they could bash their way to Omaha regardless like I don't I don't have any doubt in that um, but 
uh, you know, certainly they could uh, make their path a little bit smoother if they're able to find find another another armor too. It also speaks to a you know positional things they're going to have to figure out. You know, it wouldn't be a shock if Jacob Berry gets just a, a bulk of his at bats at, at DH because you're looking at Trey Morgan, an excellent defensive first baseman who is the second team. You know, the, the first and second team first baseman are both at LSU, Jacob Berry and Trey Morgan. Um, Trey Morgan, a very good defensive first baseman. Could he play the outfield? Probably. He's a good athlete, but do you want to move him off of first because he provides value there? And then Jacob Berry's other position ostensibly is third base. Well, there's Cade Doty. Uh, so that, that is something that, uh, look, it's a good problem to have. Like, I, I'm sure Jay Johnson is just fine having to make those types of decisions. But it is something they will have to try to figure out a little bit if it's going to be something more complicated than just putting Barry at DH, which is probably the simplest solution. But but yeah, this I mean this offense is just incredible. We talked about it on on last week's episode, breaking down the top twenty five. It's um, probably in pole position for the best offense in the country. You can throw Arkansas in there. You can maybe throw another couple of teams in there. But um, I mean the proof right is right here in front of you four players on the, on these teams uh, to show why, why LSU, I think, I think has to be probably considered the, the favorite going into the season to have, take the mantle of, of the best offense in the country. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very exciting to look at. I'm sure if you're a LSU fan and uh, very scary to look at, if you are uh, an opposing pitcher having to face LSU, but when, when, when you do look at, you know, we mentioned, Arkansas, we mentioned Ole Miss as, you know, being other premium offenses. And, you know, again, like our, our teams are made up the way that they're made up. Uh, so a guy like Tim Elko uh, did not receive as much love as, as, you know, maybe he, he might in a, a, a very more college baseball oriented mindset. Um, but it Ole Miss only has the one, the one hitter in, uh, in Jacob Gonzalez, Arkansas only has the one hitter in Robert Moore. Um, I say that that's incorrect. Arkansas has two hitters. Uh, but, you know, I, the, the point here is LSU has more than those two teams put together. They got four. So, uh, you know, when we when we look at LSU again, this is this is what we're what we're excited about. Uh, on the flip side, Joe, uh, on the mound, the the the, the kind of winner here was Florida State. The Knolls are coming in with uh, both Bryce Kubert and Parker Messick on the second team. Uh, they get two thirds of their rotation listed as as preseason All Americans, and I, I mean again, that's not to be surprising at all. Messick was the ACC Pitcher of the Year in 2021. Bryce Hubert looked like the best pitcher on the Cape. Uh, this summer therefore you know not not surprised to see how that went down but again when we look at why fsu is is ranked number 12 despite you know some of the offensive questions they have this is this is a great representation of why yeah it's a little you know you, you word association with florida state historically is, is offense and that's just not at least going into the season that's just not going to be what this team is and i know for me personally Maybe it's just because Florida State was like like the rest of the ACC last year it was just inconsistent, and it it was never really a team that looked like a, a real national title contender last year. So you know, some I I personally have been slow to come around to the idea that like this is actually one of the best pitching staffs in the country. Um, so this is <laughs> an exercise like this with the All Americans is helpful to kind of get me there because it's it, it's true. Like they just do have one of the best pitching staffs um, in the country, and 
you know, the, the, uh, they're kind of in a, a unique spot here, I would say, in that there is not, and, and we've talked about this a little bit in light of the pandemic and what have you, but you look at the pitching that we have on these All-American teams and it is short on pitchers with long track records. And that, some of that is just, you know, duh, because we didn't have a 2020 season, right? So these guys didn't, that freshman year they would have had for most of these guys was not what it would have been otherwise. So Florida State unique in having two guys that feel like they have maximum track record given given the backdrop of the rest of college baseball, which is, and this is this is work I know that that Carlos has been doing just and in, in, in has articles coming forth, forthcoming on the topic about just the general lack of experience and lack of track record among the this group of college pitchers, which I just don't think I don't think necessarily says negative things about the group as it is. It's just that we have less fewer data points to work with. So uh, could that end up being a, a mark against the group? Sure, it, it could end up being that, but I think it really, it just is what it is, which is that we just haven't gotten as many looks at these guys. Yeah, I mean, I would say the the thing about it is that when people talk about the pitching class being down and then somebody wonders like, why why are you saying that? It, it's because of that, that like that that's how it's being expressed right now. Um, is that there are just guys there there are a lot of guys out there that that don't have track records uh these are two guys that definitely do but when you look around that there just aren't aren't the I, level of track record that you're used to seeing i had a um so if you, if you know this number um just obviously you'll, you'll have an answer but um i counted the number of pitchers who received at least a third place vote on our ballot uh would you care to take a guess at what that number is Oh, uh, I do not just have the answer. Like you're, you're, you're safe there. I, um, it's always a lot. Like there are always more pitchers voted for than any other position. Now, part of that is because you have to select 12 pitchers. So there are more pitchers on a ballot than anyone else. But, uh, even with that, there are far more pitchers always voted for than even outfielders. And again, you have to pick nine of those. Um, Okay, so at least one vote. How many? Um, I'm gonna say, let's say 47. Not a bad guess. 41. Okay. 41, and that that includes, and I, and I let me be very clear before I say this, but it, I'm saying this not to make fun of the fact that these people got votes the back end, got third place votes the back end, but I say this just to kind of give the listeners an idea of how wide a um, spectrum there are of pitchers who are expected because if you've got a third place vote here like there is someone you know in the uh, scouting community that thinks that that pitcher is among the best small handful of um, a small handful of pitchers who are you know going to be among the best in college baseball in 2022 and draft prospects and and what have you but so you know on the back end it's pitchers like you know, Cy Nielsen from BYU, you know, who was a, a big time recruit at BYU a couple of years ago. It's Adam Meyer at Oregon. We've talked about him before coming from British Columbia. It's, it's Marcus Johnson at Duke, you know, who's kind of an under the radar guy who's been pretty good for them. It's uh, guys who have been prospects in the past who maybe haven't, you know, had the careers they would have had to this point who are kind of looking for fresh starts like Carter Roostad at, at Missouri. It's mid-major guys who maybe aren't as known as other guys like Thomas Harrington or, you know, Jack Jasiak at, at South Florida. And so, again, I, I don't name them to kind of to laugh at, uh, you know, those guys getting votes at the back end. It's more just to, to prove the point of, you know, 
those are the types of pitchers that, Hey, if they have the types of seasons that they, you know, could have on the high end, these are guys that, you know, are, are considered, um, talented enough to end up on these postseason all American lists if things go right. So, um, in addition to just kind of some, there's some, you know, wonky voting stuff in here too, where, you know, you, you get pitchers. One of my favorite things to look at here is you get pitchers that get first or second team votes and then don't get any third team votes. Um, you just kind of wonder what those ballots look like. So yeah, 41 pitchers all told end up getting at least one third place vote, which I think again, is a product of where we are, where there were some no-brainers, you know, Hunter Barco at all um, on the first team. But once you get past that, I mean, there, there really is a lot of eye of the beholder stuff here with, with these pitchers. And some of these guys that just got a third-place vote or a couple of third-place votes, um, you would not have to um, – you would not have to convince me much to, to convince me that those guys end up on an All-American team in the postseason because I think that's the type of season we're looking at this year. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Jack Jasiak, and we all saw what he did in the postseason last year, right? I mean, the USF isn't where where they are without him in Super Regionals. So, you know, I mean, it, it, to extrapolate that over a full season, I mean, if he's able to capture it, you know, who knows? Who knows what the what the upside there is? But, I mean, it's it's a lot, <laughs> you know? So, I the... the the pitching class, uh, the pitching group overall in college baseball, whether we're talking about this from a draft standpoint or um, you know just an on-field like perfect world college baseball standpoint, it's um, it's definitely still shaping up. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, like you said, Joe, a lot of a lot of guys it, you could see have the kind of upside to to be an All-American at the uh, at the end of the season. That's true in most years. It's especially true though this year. There's there's just so much still to dream on because, um, you know, if you look at it, there aren't many pitchers that have been two, you know, premium guys. You, you know, you can go find mid major players, but there there aren't many, you know, high high end guys that have been starting pitchers for even two seasons. You know, uh, Hunter Barco is one of them, but you know, all that all that means is he made four starts in 2020. Uh, there aren't many guys like that even so to I mean to it, find to find experience starting pitching this year is it's hard yeah I mean it's and it, it's thrown it even into even more disarray when you factor in the injury stuff we've had with Blade Tidwell little uncertainty about him and then obviously Peyton Paulette we, we have certainty unfortunately about him that he's not going to play at all this season so um, and even on the fringes a guy like Henry Williams at Duke who's got some votes here so what was already a little bit of an uncertain situation on the pitching side in college baseball has been thrown into to even more so just with some, some of the inevitable injury stuff, which is an unfortunate part of the beginning of the season as it feels like we, there's always a raft of this as players get back to campus and stuff that, you know, teams were hoping would resolve, didn't resolve, or, you know, in ramping back up, something happens, all that, all that jazz, but it, it has contributed again to uh, not knowing really what to expect from this group going into the season. Uh, this is a good place to mention that Peyton Paulette, like we did the voting before the Paulette news came out, Peyton Paulette earned enough votes to have been on the second team. Uh, he, We made the decision after the news to remove him uh, because this is a preseason All-America team and he is not going to be part of the 2022 season now. Um, that said, you know, he that gives you an idea of where he was valued. Um, and, uh, he did, he did earn those votes, but, uh, again, ultimately we made the decision to, uh, to take him off the team. Uh, 
but yeah, that's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how all the pitching shakes out. Uh, okay, got another one here, Joe, and that is the fact that there are two, two Big 12 players on this team, and only one of them has any Big 12 experience. That's J.C. Young. The other is Victor Medeiros. You mentioned him from Oklahoma State. Uh, he, of course, is transferring in from Miami. There is one player. Uh, excuse me. There, there are two. There, there are two players. One player. Two, two players. Payne Graham, and and Jace Young. Payne Graham, Oklahoma third baseman. Jace Young, Texas Tech, uh, second baseman, and then Victor Medeiros. So there are two players. One of one player. Additionally, who who is in the Big Twelve but has no Big Twelve playing experience. That's it. That that's the Big Twelve representation here, Joe. It's uh, it's not what I would have expected. Uh, you know, just on on face value, I, there aren't a whole lot of players. I mean, Texas doesn't have anyone represented, and as the number one team, you would expect that. Uh, there are a variety of reasons why that happened. Um, but there, there, this isn't what you would expect going into any season. But the, it, it it's a little stark to see to see the way that that voting shook out. They're also um, Peyton Graham makes a third, correct? Right, right. Yeah. So it's, it's two players with big 12 experience right, and okay, then an yeah, additional yeah. Okay. with, with Medeiros. I, I confused myself by trying to include Medeiros, but also separate him because he is, he, he is new to the big 12. Yeah. Okay. Like, Cause it, it was also very much on the table that I listened poorly to you talking there. So like <laughs> I wanted to clarify. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, so I think a couple of things here, that's really interesting. Cause I hadn't really noticed because, you know, I saw like at the top, like JC Young, sure. Peyton Graham. Okay. And then like, I understand the, the appeal of Victor Medeiros, right? So I hadn't really noticed. And I think there are a few things happening here. Although I got to say, like, this is not, again, we are very thankful that the, the scouting directors do this, but I, I was a little surprised, you know, maybe some of it's, he's coming into a little bit of a new role, but given his pedigree, I was a little surprised not to see Tanner Witt here. Um, I agree that if there was going to be a Texas player, I would have expected him. You can make an argument for Ivan Melendez. That's a little tough positionally. We don't have a DH on this team. Uh, and that's, that was where he played. That's where they saw him play most of last year. Uh, additionally, even if we, if you view him as a first baseman, that's, uh, it's, it's just a tough position to make. Um, you know, sometimes first base, third base in infield gets a little confused, but uh, you can make a case for Melendez and I mean, you can make a case for Pete Hansen. Uh the issue I think with that from a, you know, again, who, who does our voting is that um, his, uh, his stuff last year was not where scouts were hoping it was going to be. And I mean, there's a reason why Pete Hansen was began the season in the rotation, then moved to Tuesdays before moving back into the rotation. Um, he ultimately put together a really great season, uh, but there are, there just are question marks about him now. So he was, and you know, another guy I thought maybe we'd see here is Justin Campbell, Oklahoma State. And I have to kind of wonder if, because we listed him as utility, although he's clearly more pitcher over hitter at this point, and he got votes in both places. He got some write-in votes on starting pitcher. So I wonder if maybe he siphoned some votes off himself, although... Well, it's crazy. Like, like you say that, I have always advocated for us listing almost anyone who was going to do both at all at both, because it's usually hard to come up with three but this year in um in netto clemson's Caden grice 
and Air Force's Paul Skeens, you got three really good players, and then you could throw Justin Campbell into that. Um, you, there were many good options. Uh, in some years, I would have said, put DeLauder there. He'll probably pitch a few innings for them. Like, we need to fill this out somehow. Uh, but this year, it was uh, it was a little more crowded there. Yeah. So he's a guy I thought. So, you know, there's a couple of guys there that we could call. Jared McKenzie's another one at Baylor, by the way. Like, he just missed the cut. Um, I won't get too deep into it, but like there's a, he missed, he was very, very close. He's probably the first outfielder off the, 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 the teams here. Um, so he was close. So a couple of things change and very quickly there's five or six big 12 players on here. So like you, I think you can excuse some of that. Also, if you throw into the mix that to a point made on last week's top 25 podcast, Texas is not the prospectiest team out there plays a role. Oklahoma outside of Peyton Graham is kind of in, in Kate Horton, I guess, if you want to make that argument, cause he's just a, he's got the pedigree. Oklahoma is kind of in a similar boat and is down right now. Just, just generally as a program, Baylor is, is one of the better programs in the big 12 right now. They're almost always not the prospectiest shiniest team. So there are like a million little individual reasons why I think it played out that way. But I think, you know, and then of course, by the way, like Texas tech on paper, does not have a Texas Tech roster from what we've seen over the last seven, eight years. That's, there's that as well. So I think there's a million little reasons why this came to be, but I do think there is something too, and, and we don't have to do a full um, autopsy and, and diagnosis here, but there is something to the idea that, you know, we see this with the Big 12 periodically. There do seem to be some ebbs and flows within the Big 12 in terms of quality of prospects, quality of teams, the amount of talent that the conference puts out relative to the SEC, which stays pretty uh, static at the top, putting out the most talent. And even to a certain degree, you know, the ACC and, and Pac-12, it does feel like the Big 12 is, is a little bit more susceptible to that kind of to ebb and flow. And we, we just might be kind of on a, would this be an ebb? Which one is bad, ebb or flow? I think it's, <laughs> I think it's ebb. So it, like this it's is, it's ebb, yeah. Yeah, so this would be an ebb here for the Big 12. But, you know, Jokes aside, I, I do think there probably is something to that with this just being one of those those times the Big 12 tends to go through that other top conferences, namely the SEC, just don't don't deal with. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, th- th- this is just kind of a function of a bunch of little things, like you said, that and the voting could have, you know, we get maybe two more ballots and all of a sudden we're talking about four Big 12 players and this isn't a topic of conversation at all. Uh, it's also... A smaller conference right now than the other um, major conferences. So I, I don't want to read too much into it. It is just a little quirky, but it also, and maybe it means something. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, last one I wanted to mention is that the first and second team shortstops both come from the Big West. Brooks Lee has gotten a lot of pub, uh, a lot of hype. Joe has been a part of that. Um, and... <laughs> Not like I didn't tell you to write those stories, but I'm just going to blame you. Uh, Joe, is, Joe is the hype man for Brooks Lee at Cal Poly. Um, but also UC Santa Barbara's Jordan Sprinkle coming in on the, the second team there for, for shortstop. So I, I am going to be very interested to see what the Big West looks like this year. We've talked about it various times on the podcast. Uh, but the, again, the, this is part of the reason why is that you know the, there's starting to be Again, pre- premium talent. At least this season, there, there's there's some real serious premium position player talent in the Big West. Used to seeing it from a pitcher standpoint, um, but these if uh, 
if Lee and Sprinkle both go in the first round, it's it's going to be something the Big West hasn't done with position players in in quite some time. Yeah, it's, it's that's that's really pretty neat. Like I'm, we've talked about it quite a bit. How excited we are to to see how the Big West plays out this year, and, and those two players on those teams are a big part of it. Um, I was a little surprised that we didn't see Brooks Lee be a unanimous vote. Um, Jacob Gonzalez at Ole Miss siphoned off one of his first place votes, which is you know I think that's a it's, that's not out of left field. That's that's fair. And um, Jacob Gonzalez is actually the type of guy that that again I, I've been a little bit slow to catch on to, to just how good he was last year. Um, I'm going to blame getting swallowed up in the, the Tim Elko story is is kind of overshadowing Jacob Gonzalez a little bit. But but yeah, having having those guys out west and you know the team we we talk a lot about Brooks Lee. Um, we don't talk as much about Cal Poly as a contender out there for, for good reason. I just, I, I, we don't think they're quite up to the level of Irvine and, and UCSB and, and Long Beach state. Um, but they do also have a pitcher in Drew Thorpe who's pretty doggone good. Um, you know, he's, he's in this mix as well. So, um, you know, I, I, this is, I think this is a real opportunity year for the big West. I think you see it in, in these players. They've, they've got something cresting here and whether it's, they just, I don't want to say got lucky, but, whether it, this is a one-off of um, having a, a particularly good class of players coming through, um, whether that's kind of just something they backed into or not, it is an opportunity for the conference uh, to kind of bootstrap itself a little bit and get back headed in the right direction. So I don't, I don't want to put too much on just a small group of players having, having that kind of impact, but if that type of talent ends up being expressed in Big West teams, having ascendant seasons and being better as a league than it has been recently. I do think it can have a little bit of a trickle down um, where the big West can get back to being a little bit more of like we, what we expect it to be year to year uh, versus what has been, which is you and I kind of dedicating roughly one out of every 15 podcasts to like talking a little bit about why the big West is struggling in the, in the way in which it has. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I think that, um, you know, we don't have UC Irvine's Nathan Church on here. Uh, that's another really high end, um, you know, kind of college player. Um, and, and there, there are players like that throughout the conference. But if, uh, if Lee and Sprinkle are going to, you know, kind of carry the banner as draft prospects and, you know, maybe Thorpe in there as well, we'll, uh, we'll see where it can go. I, I, it'll be very interesting. Again, we, we, we talk about this with the Big West, like just how, how interesting the league can be. And, um, you know, again, when, when you see players like this come through, that this is this is part of why we're getting excited about the Big West uh, in 2022. Uh, all right, Joe, if uh, that's all I got in terms of, of big picture preseason All-American stuff, is that is there anything else you want to touch on before we uh, before we move it on? No, uh, I guess the uh, the only other thing that we could do is is, um, you know, make fun of. Uh, those who couldn't read the ballot very well and stuff like we listed Landon Sims as starting pitcher and Landon Sims still got two votes for first team relief pitcher. Um, and we could do that for a little bit, but, uh, just generally, no, I think that, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm all good. The, uh, it's, it's not a matter of reading comprehension there. That's a matter of, uh, <laughs> that, that's a matter of principle. I would say that those guys, when they're voting that way, they're they're letting you know that they think Landon Sims is a reliever. Mm. So yeah. that's uh, fair, that's fair that, that's how you read those two things. Yeah, I mean, it should also be it should also be said that um, you know you may notice that like Carson Palmquist, for example, is is a reliever on our first team, and and Miami is going to try starting him. So understand that uh, you know pitching roles are kind of fluid. <laughs> 
So, uh, you know, for all, for all we know, Sims ends up back in the bullpen and Bumpus works out at the starter. We'll just, I wouldn't bet on that. Um, you know, I, I'd bet on Sims working out, but you never know. So um, understand that if you look at it and say, that's kind of weird because here's Carson, Carson Plumquist starting on Saturday of opening weekend or whatever it is. So um, that obviously is, uh, you know, those things can change. Indeed. Uh, all right, Joe, before we get out of here, last night, again, as we record this on Monday, uh, was conference championship Sunday in the NFL. And a weird thing happened, and that was the Cincinnati Bengals uh, beat the Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, this is very strange in that the, the Bengals haven't been to this stage in a long time. And it just kind of got me thinking about who would like what what would college baseball's Cincinnati Bengals be a, a team that, you know, had success primarily in the 80s and early 90s, uh, but hasn't been close to this stage in, in quite some time. And now uh, with the transcendent player leading the way is is, is breaking through, um, you know, we'll see if this is a one off or if this is the start of something. But the uh, it, it is it is quite the shock. Uh to, to see the Bengals on, on this stage. And I don't think there's a perfect college baseball analog. Um, I mean, you could throw out Oklahoma or Wichita state, um, you know, which, which certainly had their, their days uh, kind of in the same general time frame as what we're talking about for the Bengals, but um, you know, haven't quite reached that, that again, but you know, it's uh, I, it, it's really hard to, to find a, a good, uh, a good comparison. Yeah, Wichita State was one. You mentioned Oklahoma off air before we started recording, and I said, yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good one. I, I thought of Wichita State while we were recording too, and I think that's that's not bad either. Because one of the one of the nuances parts of making this comparison is it's not as if the Bengals in the NFL they had their heyday, and then it's not that they completely disappeared off the face of the earth. They are thought of generally as one of the more downtrodden franchises in the NFL, and I think that's true but this was a you know team that got to plenty of playoff appearances with Carson Palmer at quarterback and Andy Dalton at quarterback you know Marvin Lewis was their head coach and it seemed like they would make the first round of the playoffs and get bounced every year so it's not a team that has has completely disappeared from getting to the 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 postseason so it's kind of like the the team that gets to enough regionals but it's been a while since they've kind of pushed to get out of that round and so like in different ways, Wichita State and Oklahoma kind of up in that where, you know, Oklahoma was in Omaha in 2010, uh, which I guess has been longer ago than I'm willing to admit. But, you know, Wichita State, like on the other end of the spectrum, hasn't been to a regional since 2013. So that's almost been too long. But I think those two might be, you know, as, as good as, as we're going to do, although it should be said that, you know, I guess Wichita State in particular, their peak was probably a little bit longer and more um wide reaching than the cincinnati Bengals peak in the late 80s and, and early 90s yeah but, i mean wichita uh, state and oklahoma both do have titles whereas the Bengals do not so like that is that is a little bit of a key key component here yeah so that's a tough one just because it's it's it's, it's a lot easier when we're dealing with a comparison of something that's on the the edges of the spectrum, you know, an extreme version of, of this or that, or the other thing, it, it's, it's tougher when it's a little more nuanced because again, it's the Bengals haven't been particularly good as a franchise, but they also haven't been, you know, like the New York jets, you know, the, the jets have had some, 
you know, when, when Sanchez and then Rex Ryan were there, they, they, they went to a couple conference championship games, but like in the years surrounding that they weren't, they, they've not been very good. So this isn't quite that. I don't think the Bengals have been a lot more mediocre um, more often than they've been just truly, truly awful. And that's kind of, that's what makes this a, a tough comparison. So I'm sure Teddy will say this, but I will jump in and do it first. If you, uh, if you have any good comparisons in uh, college baseball to the Cincinnati Bengals, feel free to hit us up on the social media and such. Yes. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. I am at Ted Cahill. It's, uh, you know, we, we've got two weeks to think about the idea of the Bengals being in the Super Bowl. So, you know, you can work on that. That is one thing that's nice about the uh, the NFL versus, uh, you know, college baseball. When you get a Cinderella in in, the, in Omaha, you, you only get a few days to, to figure out like, oh, wow, this is really happening. Uh, but this uh, you've got two weeks to figure it out if you're a, if you're a casual NFL fan. Uh, with that, we're going to. We're going to wrap it up here on the Baseball America College Podcast. Had a lot of fun talking about these preseason All-Americans today. If you haven't checked it out, you can find the full story over at BaseballAmerica.com, the full teams over at BaseballAmerica.com, and analysis on every player in the first team written by Carlos Colazzo. So check that out. Conference previews are starting this week as well. So those are running over this week and next week. Uh, running out a few of those every day. So plenty to read over at baseballamerica.com as we, again, push towards opening day, uh, coming fast on February 18th. We'll be back here with another episode of the Baseball America College podcast next week. So make sure you are following or subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us and uh, we pop into your phone there once a week as we again get ready for opening day on February 18th. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Rapsodo for presenting this and every episode of the Baseball America College podcast. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.